welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most interesting topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 182nd edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 637th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, August 13th, 2020. I'm your host, Andy Bottoms. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call, how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes a shot. Well, for this week's banner moment, I'm really not sure what in the hell to talk about because there aren't really a lot of, uh, if, if this is a segment normally reserved for positive news, there's a little bit light on that uh, for this week. Jared had given a couple suggestions, one of which was that Nebraska apparently is staying in the Big Ten, which should help all Big Ten teams get two more victories and improve tournament seating, uh, which was good. There was another one around what a... a potential delay for the season might mean for people to reclassify, but uh, I- I'm going to use it to give, uh, talk a little bit about season preview stuff, but also give, uh, get direct people to the three man weave uh, guys and their website. They're doing a countdown right now and they had IU as number 24 and uh, their previews tend to be pretty in depth and they were overall relatively, uh, you know, bullish on the, on the Hoosiers. I think they, uh, you know, talked a lot about race Thompson. So Ryan may be ghostwriting for them, but talked about how, uh, how good the, uh, net efficiency numbers were when, uh, when race and TJD played together. I thought that was an, an interesting note. Talked about how last year, uh, without Romeo, they really dialed back their, uh, pick and roll offense, which seemed to fit well, uh, with the, with the personnel from last year, because, uh, very few of the guards outside of Devante, really rated very well in that way. And so I think it gives a little bit of a lens into, you know, Archie and trying to, to work with the pieces that he has. And they went on to say that that could change though. Uh, pick and roll is uh, a, a huge part of college basketball and basketball in general. And, and talked a little bit about how IU might be able to swing the pendulum back toward where a lot of other teams are with Christian Lander in the fold. So overall thought it was a, a good read. Um, and those guys do a, a really good job and in, uh, in depth. And I appreciate their desire to uh, plug forward as if the season will be going on with their normally scheduled uh, content schedule. So also give them some uh, props for that. But anyway, if you want to check that out, that's uh, three dash man dash weave.com. And uh, they had a lot of big 10 teams. I think five out of the last six uh, heading into today were big 10 teams. So pretty good cluster of, uh, of teams in the area and a good way to get prepped for what we hope will be uh, a season to come. So with that, let me introduce my esteemed co-host to my left. Cost a dollar, heaven help you if you ever decide to pop your collar. Play hard, but remember, fake hustle is a crime. He's the coach and it's time Sony time. Coach, welcome. I'm giving you at least the night off from the host chair, uh, which I'm sure you're excited about. But uh, what's on your mind uh, about the weekend? Sports, IU sports, uh, anything else uh, you got on your mind? We're going to have a lot to talk about with with the football thing, but I'm going to start out with um, basketball uh, and our and the recruits playing AAU. Somehow they're playing AAU, and uh, Logan Duncan looked really good against the Purdue recruit Caleb First. And I know it's one game; you can't just get excited about the one matchup. Uh, but it's recruiting. Game, you absolutely can get excited about at, one game. That's you what know. It's, it's for. always better when the Indiana guy beats up on a Purdue guy. Um, 
in a televised that. And Trey Kaufman looked really uh, decent there. And you also got a shot at, at watching Blake Wesley. And so the live streaming uh, of that uh, and the replay on YouTube was nice to see, to go back and see what uh, Indiana is pursuing. They have a good one in Logan Duncombe. Uh, and uh, again, these are high school kids that have to get it done at the college level. So there's always a lot of growth, but that to me was uh, nice to see that, uh, that we already got one up on, on them. I think at least in one game and ho- hopefully that continues. Obviously the, the, the news of um, Bruiser Flint leaving uh, and the assistant coach, the head coach is the main deal in, in college. Uh, you want good staffs. I'm an assistant coach, so I don't want to downplay the role of being an assistant coach, but um, we're really not as important. Uh, what we are there is to, to, to help develop players and help this, the, assist, the head coach with his philosophy. And so there's some things that will make a good head coach. I don't think – I think it's ideal to keep staffs together, but I also don't think that it's uh, really a bad idea to get new people in every once in a while. So, you know, if, if Bruiser wants to go to Kentucky, next man up, um, we'll move Mike Roberts up to the associate head coach and we'll bring in – uh, someone else who's a butt kicker and uh, uh, will be okay. Trying to stay positive in, in otherwise uh, gloomy sports world, which we'll talk about in, in some other segments. All right. And uh, given Ryan the week off, we're trying to limit the amount of exposure that people have to his beard. Um, so we've given him the, the night off to, to do that. But in his place... I really held back with giving my best uh, Jim Ross impersonation of, by God, that's Galen Clavio's music, but there he is. So the, uh, as Jared, I think, has often put it, the uh, the godfather of IU podcasting, Galen Clavio, is uh, is joining us from Crimson Cast. So uh, Galen, I don't know if you have a, a rant that you'd like to do in, in Ryan's absence or in his honor, or if you uh, want to take this a different direction. I love the implication that I'm I'm the replacement ranter uh, when Ryan's not around. Like I'm the AAA ranter uh, of Assembly Call. It's tremendous, but uh, I guess it's a weak rant because I think I'm going to be getting into a lot of ranting on some of the other topics that we're talking about tonight. But I'm tired of having to make an effort to stay positive when it comes to sports. I'd like sports to just be like allow me to be positive all by themselves and. Man, this has been a rough week where, you know, we just not only do we get football washed out, but we get soccer, uh, you know, college soccer is washed out. College volleyball is washed out. Like all these things that I was looking forward to maybe getting a chance to watch. I, I you know, I, it, it, it would have been a little bit of a tough sled, even if everything had gone perfectly right. But the fact that everything went horribly wrong over the course of the summer and it's left us in this spot. It's like a mixed bag because like I'm sitting here and I'm watching hockey and I'm watching baseball and NBA's on. So it's not the worst thing in the world. And it's certainly better than it was a couple of months ago. But come on. Like, I think we've I feel like just existentially speaking, we've been through enough at this point. I would uh, I would agree with you. I've watched I've watched far too much of the Reds. Um which I'm is uh, yeah, which is not generally. <laughs> At least they're playing, unlike the Cardinals. Right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's generally not going well, uh, as as it as was the case today. I think they were down nine to nothing, and it wasn't even six o'clock yet. So, uh, yeah, what are you going to do? Uh, all right. So, uh, with that on that ray of sunshine, let's we're going to talk this week about uh, a couple things that you know the big topics for IU are uh, are pretty clear. Archie looking for a new assistant coach with Bruiser Flint leaving for Kentucky and the week that was for Big Ten football and, and what that means for basketball. Also have a handful of your questions that are uh, all 
are mostly uh, tied to one one of those topics or the other. So we'll hit those this week on Assembly Call Radio. Before we get to all of that, quick announcement uh, to continue to support our friends at Home Field. Uh, it's homefieldapparel.com. Uh, if you use the code ASSEMBLY20 at checkout, you can save 20% off your order. Uh, Connor and all the folks there have been doing a great job with these uh, big new Saturday launches that they had, uh, including this week's where apparently Dave Wanstead thought that it was got something confused on Cameo. It was their fifth team. He said something about it being something with fifth grade, uh, but it was uh, it was quality. It was quality entertainment either way. And uh, I know I have bought a few of the new a few of the new schools that have come out. And so uh, exciting uh, all the things that they got going on there. So again, the promo code assembly 20 at checkout there. So uh, who's your headlines this week? We'll, we'll really hit most of this on, on Bruiser Flint. So uh, he takes a job at Kentucky with his uh, former coach, John Calipari. I think anybody who listened to the who's uh, your hysterics interview with Bruiser probably weren't terribly surprised by that. Uh, just given, you know, the, the history between those two guys, um, you know, Jared put a note in here that right now it's, it's probably a better fit for him. Uh, Kentucky can pull highly rated players from the East coast where he has connections. IU really, while they got in, uh, in contention for the final spot with uh, a number of players, uh, didn't ever really seal the deal. Uh, so the question there really becomes where does IU turn? There was some initial buzz around Alan Griffin of Syracuse, but today uh, they put out something that he is staying there. Uh, our former intern, uh, Dylan Wallace, wrote for Sports Illustrated uh, a few names. Griffin was one of those. Also threw out Mike Miller, who had just been on Penny Hardaway's staff, but had, I think, took a coaching job at a high school, I want to say, but IU is recruiting uh, his son, Mason. Uh, AJ Guyton was on the list. Keith Smart was on the list. Uh, and then Kevin Kewick, I think is how you say this, a former Archie assistant uh, at Dayton. So I don't know, Coach, if any of those names uh, stand out to you at all. It's a little bit hard to tell and a hard time for Archie to really be hiring anyone, uh, given you know some of the challenges with uh, interviewing and, and getting people together. But any any names that you've heard stand out to you one way or the other or uh, or not? You know, it, it's got to be a good fit for the head coach. And, and what a lot of us turn to are former IU players, uh, people that used to work with Archie at Dayton, and then uh, we can develop a list. And that's not that's not bad investigative thinking, I guess. But Archie and coaches, they, they have a, a, a connection, and they know each other and have networked over and over and over again to know um, who's available. And and so Archie's going to go find a guy that's the best fit for Indiana and Archie Miller because Archie Miller needs to start succeeding quickly. Uh, and so he's going to take this seriously. I imagine it's probably going to be a, a name that we're not familiar with, um, but will turn out to have a, have a decent resume as a, a, a young, somewhat experienced, you know, six, seven year guy that's uh, coming from a, a big school that wants to move to a, a, a bigger school. Um, I think he might look that way, but Archie knows who he wants. Um, and I think it's just got to be a good fit. It's got to relate to the players. He's got to be able to recruit players, and he's got to be able to do something in practice and develop players. Uh, and a lot of guys will fit that mode, but there's just got to be a good fit with the head coach. Yeah, Galen, I know we've talked about this on here a, a lot, but I don't know that um, certainly not on here. You, you've probably shared your thoughts on this, but uh, you know the whole notion of it needing to be somebody with IU ties and things like that, they check that box, if you will, with – with Mike Roberts, who I think is a, a fit for a number of reasons. Do you, at this point, when you already have one quote unquote IU guy on the staff, do you, uh, you know, wh where do you stand on the, the thought that you need to, you would potentially get another one or where that really factors in the, the mix of qualifications? 
If I was trying to recruit IU fans, I would put a former IU player <laughs> on the staff. Uh, well, they already did that once. It obviously wasn't enough. So apparently we need to have another one. No, I look, I, you need people who can recruit the type of basketball players that will elevate IU to the next level. And that's nothing against, uh, you know, the former IU players who are assistant coaches, but the ones that might be possibilities, I don't think have demonstrated at a high enough level that they can do that job yet. Now you could take a flyer on somebody, but if I'm Archie Miller, I don't think that'd be wise because I have already worn out a decent amount of my welcome with a large amount of the fan base and, and, and a large amount of the journalists that cover the team as far as what direction that I'm going. So, you know, the problem is this, I think, um, I, I always think about the way that we evaluate economies within sports. And we sometimes just think that the best things grow on trees. It's like, if you're a fan of European soccer, uh, everybody's got a problem with their center back pairing. And so it's like, Oh, we'll just go sign a better center back. And it's like, you know, there's a very finite number of, of really world-class center backs out there. And so that's why everybody struggles because there's just not many of them to put out there. Well, it's the same thing with really good high level assistant coaches in recruiting and in division one college basketball. It's a small number of guys that can have an, an impact to the degree that Indiana is looking for. And so I think, look, I trust Archie Miller's understanding of who's out there. You know, I don't think anybody had Bruiser Flint on their radar when Archie came to IU initially. And I think it was a pretty good hire and I trust him to go out and find somebody that can fill the particular uh, mold that IU needs for that position moving forward. No one um, really, Mike Roberts didn't really pop up in yeah. articles and thoughts when, when Mike Roberts brought in. And, you know, some people really go crazy about Mike Roberts. So you never know who might, you know, uh, <laughs> who might pop in as an assistant coach. Ar Archie has to make a good hire. That's the bottom line because he's in a position now where he's got to win and he's got to win sooner than later. And an assistant coach can help you do that by recruiting. And so he's not just going to do something to satisfy everyone who's a fan. He's going to try to do something that that'll fit him and what what's needed. And, and I think mostly it's recruiting in, in, in the college game. It's the, you know, you need talent and, and, and that's just a big thing to, to keep going. Yeah, I think I think Bruiser was largely talked about as being more involved on the defensive side of things. Although I think that's really a role that Roberts fits fairly well as as well. If if you at least from the you know the game that I went to and just kind of watching him on the sidelines, he seems pretty animated when uh, you know I use on the defensive end of the floor. So I don't know that there's a necessary skill set from that standpoint. Um, that, that stands out. I think the recruiting is one, you know, Jared had, had put in some of the notes about, you know, what some of the probable attributes would be. Uh, he had young and hungry, which I, I think makes sense. Um, and that you want to get somebody who, you know, maybe younger relates to players, proven recruiting connections was a, a factor for sure, particularly in areas where I, you may be, you know, I think that was one of the things with bruiser was he was, you know, more of an East coast guy, that didn't necessarily bear a lot of fruit uh, during his time here, but do you look for somebody that's that's got some connections uh, outside of the Midwest? And then the other thing that he threw out here was, uh, you know, potentially an African American um, with the other two assistants uh, being, you know, being white. I don't know how much that 
plays into it. I think, um, y- you know, that's a probably a matter of opinion on, on, on how much of a factor that is. Any other factors that you guys can really think of or that you weigh heavily more coach? It seems like you were on the recruiting side of things. Galen, do you kind of put a lot of, uh, a lot of weight in a particular, uh, characteristic or, or skill? Well, I think, look, it, it is, I think a, an important factor to have assistance that can contribute in multiple areas. But if you look at where I use at right now, um, you know, the development seems to be coming along just fine with, with many of the players. Uh, and, and I think that that was one of the nice things that you saw going into the end of last year, obviously there's still a lot of work to be done, but I think uh, you need to have certainly more impact in recruiting and it is, look, I mean, people want to, you want to gloss over the, the African-American part of things. I think in this era of college basketball, there's a lot of, of young African-American high school players who want to see somebody on the coaching staff that, that looks like they do and, and that understands them from a cultural perspective. And I don't think that that's something you can just ignore if you're especially you're at a place like Indiana, which doesn't have you know this this long history that you know places like North Carolina or Georgetown have of just being a place where uh, African Americans feel automatically welcome. So look, I think that that's something to consider. If your best candidate is is take the best candidate, whoever it is, but I think that that's something that you should keep in mind. One one other thing that that I've seen in some articles already, you know, they talk about Mike Roberts is in charge of the posts, and and so this candidate has been in charge of the post at so and so university. I don't think that matters. As an assistant coach, you better be able to coach different things. Now you may have a strength in one area over the other, uh, but if you can recruit and, and and you have two post coaches, you can one can be a guard coach, and you as a head coach have to develop that a little bit as well, but. Um, so I don't know that what position you are coaching currently has to match the opening that Bruiser left, whether it's defensive specialist or whatever else. They all do scouting reports. They all are given games where they have the scout, all of those things. I just see someone who's been in, um, you know, a top 10 conference that has, you know, been around six, seven years, or at least someone who's been around six, seven years. I don't think they're going to take a flyer on someone with limited experience, as Galen said earlier. Uh, but the position doesn't. Now, I know people like the Yaklidge defensive thing that Beeline brought in. I don't know how many assistants are really that great at being an offensive or defensive specialist. It's unlike football where uh, you do have your coordinators. Uh, basketball is generally more all around. Someone may have some really good ideas in a particular area. Um, so that's always brought up too in, in, in chat rooms and discussions about coaches. But he's going to get the best coach and, and he needs to make a good hire. Somebody with a track record of uh, improving outside shooting would certainly get a, a boost from the fan base. I'm sure Ryan Phillips, was an option. Yeah, there you go. That maybe that's why Ryan's not on the show tonight. He's really polishing up his resume and uh, getting ready for that. We'll we'll find out in the weeks to come. Uh, but uh, all right, well, with that, we'll uh, start to think about what's up next, uh, which was a wild week for the Big Ten and the fall football schedule being announced and then the season being postponed. So, what does that mean for basketball? We'll talk about it next. Stick with us on the assembly call. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. 
Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Hey, guys. It's Gene Steratore, CBS officiating analyst and retired Big Ten basketball official. You know, I have never listened to the assembly call. And to be honest, I don't intend to. But if you listen, make sure you ignore anything Ryan says about officiating. He's really good from the seat of his pants, but I wouldn't trust him on the court with a whistle around his neck. Time has proven him wrong on virtually everything. Take care. We'll talk soon. All right. Well, thank you, Gene. That's always the go-to when things look bleak, that's always my go-to intro because it does bring a smile to my face every time. So welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever join, want to join the chat mob during our unedited live broadcast or watch those replays and see all the between-segment banter, then check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assemblycall. I'm Andy Bottoms here with the coach, Brian Tonsoni, and Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast. And... Uh, guys, we all kind of just made an audible groan before we, uh, between segments and before we got ready to talk about this part. So, uh, I would, I would be surprised if people listening to this don't know what the week was for, uh, from a big 10 perspective. But I think even since, uh, we had, we had the show last week, the big 10 went forward, announced the schedule. Uh, I use got kind of turned around and, and was made pretty front loaded, compared to what it was before. And then uh, within a matter of days, the Big Ten came out and said they are postponing the season until the spring. At least the hope is to play uh, in the spring. And and rumor of that leaked out fairly early in the week and uh, eventually came to fruition. So, um, Galen, I'll I'll throw this to you first. I know you and and Scott talked about this on uh, on Crimson Cast uh, earlier earlier this week as well. Uh, But was this kind of inevitable from you know what you were were following or uh, just your general thoughts from uh being a a historian on not not this sort of thing obviously but um you know college sports and 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 your background there what was what was your initial reaction uh to to what happened well you know it's funny the when the big 10 released that conference only schedule and it was pretty tough for iu a lot of people were kind of outraged and I got asked about it and I was like, I'd be more outraged about the schedule if I thought it was actually going to happen. And it unfortunately didn't happen. I look, this is unfortunate. Look, here's the problem with all of this. And we went into this in a lot of detail in crimson cast and I won't bore everybody with rehashing all of that, but um, the seeds of what happened at the beginning of this week were planted like four months ago when just everybody acted like the virus was going to magically disappear when it got warm and was going to stay that way until Thanksgiving. And by the time it became apparent that wasn't going to happen, it was like nobody had a plan to fix things. And it was, it's really just, it's irritating on a number of levels. It look, it would have been difficult given the way that things are going on a national basis for college football to have happened, even if there was some kind of a plan in place. But the problem is that, you know, there wasn't a plan in place. So we, we're not even getting a chance to give it the old college try, so to speak. You know, it doesn't even make sense to push it forward into September or early October and, and hope that things get better and that you're able to contain stuff. So uh, on that front, I'm very irritated. And on just the general topic of IU losing their football season, 
you know, you have the chance at potentially your best year in 50 years, like literally 50 years, and it gets wiped out by a, a global pandemic. That's about the most IU football thing that there is. I think Jared made that joke on, on Twitter, and it's just unfortunately true, and there's nothing you can say about it except that it sucks. Yeah, I, I would agree. And it, even as you said, you know, the soccer, uh, the, losing the soccer season, losing the volleyball season, all those other things are really, uh, really – really difficult to, uh, you know, to think about and, and to deal with coach. I, you know, what, what were your, I, I think I was a little bit like Galen with the schedule thing where I was like, I kind of, it gives you something to get excited about, but you kind of know at the same time, you're like, well, can I really get excited about this? Does it really, uh, is this really going to happen? But you know, kind of initial thoughts from you on the big Ten's decision and, uh, and how that came about. It was, it wasn't surprising to me. Um, Always when you lose the sports season, it's it's disappointing um, because I enjoy Saturdays in, in Bloomington, but I wasn't going to go anyway because uh, of the fan thing. So that had already been taken away. So when it started to go away in pieces, uh, you kind of understand that there is a next decision to be made. You just hope that it's not made as a sports fan. So the idea that everyone was going to no fans uh, kind of should have set the table for, okay, we could go to a cancellation. Then when it went from 12 games to 10 games, uh, I think it's reasonable and common sense, and I know people are on different ends of the spectrum here, but even everyone can see that it's going somewhere. Uh, it's from 12 to 10, and only the Big Ten. That showed that the Big Ten was concerned, so... Um, I wasn't surprised and, and seeing the increase in numbers, um, again, not here to be an expert medically on, on, on what it means and all of that, but I was not surprised, but just is disappointed, uh, as a sports fan uh, and uh, probably way too, too much of a sports fan, you miss it. And, and it's part of you, who you are and part of what you do. And it's just even if you go to an eight-game spring schedule or a reduced schedule, it's just not, it's just not normal. And we're we're a ways away from normal. So, uh, you know, understand. I do understand why that had to happen. Um, but you know, could it be done? Could it have been a little different? Yeah, maybe. But um, yeah, not surprised, but saddened. Yeah. So now, I mean, as we, as we think forward to this and, and what it might mean from a basketball perspective, uh, cause that's, I think, you know, what you, what you brought up Galen is a, a, maybe a good jumping off point for that of, you would hope that from a basketball standpoint, people have watched, Hey, football wasn't prepared to, to handle what might come. You have some blueprints that other leagues have been able to follow some successfully, some less so. Um, and so you have some time to prepare, particularly dependent upon when you want to start the season, whether it's you take a Pac-12 approach and say, we're not playing, we're not doing anything until, you know, the first of the year, whatever that, whatever that may be. So I think that's a potential benefit from a basketball standpoint. Um, I guess, I, I guess for me, the first question, and everybody's going to this and got their own theories on how this can work with the, with putting some kind of bubble, um, in place. And, those are the ones that have been the most successful for sure. If you look at uh, in large part MLS after the initial, you know, couple teams had to be sent home. Uh, we've seen it be, we've seen it work in the NBA. We've seen it work in the NHL. Um, the basketball tournament um, was, was another example of that. So I think everybody's knee jerk reaction is to say, Hey, let's go do that. I think one of the things that continues to get propped up as a, 
to say that's not possible is the whole amateurism argument, because at that point you're saying, well, I need to do something different with you. Uh, not at all, uh, you know, not at all tied to money, certainly. Um, but, <laughs> but needing to do something different and treat them different than other students and things like that. So Galen, I'll, I'll kind of ask you this based on your background, how big of a, a hurdle do you think the, um, the ruse of amateurism <laughs> is to, uh, to really being able to, to, move to a bubble environment. Cause I'm not really sure that anything could work outside of that. So do you think that's a hurdle that can be overcome or, or where do you come down to that based on what you know and what you've heard so far? Well, look, it's going to be a hurdle for some people in college athletics who just don't want to give any ground on that front, but college athletics is going to go through some ugly financial upheavals here over the course of the next six months if this doesn't get addressed head on. And honestly, if I'm a college athlete at a power five school, I'm looking at this and I'm saying to myself, I'm not even going to play in a bubble for basketball safe as it might be um, without some form of, of skin at the table, like without, without some kind of whether it's financial stake or whether it's uh, some kind of say in how things are organized, because uh, you just had four months to set up some kind of a system for the football season and you blew it as college athletics. Like th- there just was no plan. And so, look, I think that a lot of things are going to have to get sussed out behind the scenes here over the course of the next few months before you have that sort of a situation. I do think basketball is going to be a little different anyway, because here at Indiana, many other places, they weren't planning on being on campus after Thanksgiving anyway. You know, you were you were going to have um, online only classes from the set for at IU, for example, from essentially the the Friday before Thanksgiving all the way through to the end of the first week of February. Uh, so that is a unique situation where classes are still being offered. You can still have students on campus, and you can have essentially a bubble without actually having it being a bubble. But the larger issue of how athletes especially in the revenue sports and especially in the power five conferences are evaluated and how they are accounted for within the overall system. I do think that's going to have to change. And I think if there's any chance at a football season in spring, that's going to be predicated on that as well. And and we'll just have to see, I, I happen to think with the financial losses that a lot of these athletic departments are going to accrue the, 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 this, the table is going to be set for some kind of a compromise to take place because the alternative could be athletes deciding, no, nah, we're good. We're not going to play at all. And that leading to even more financial imperilment than what we're already going to see. Yeah, I think the the money aspect, I know Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander brought that up on the, the CBS College Basketball podcast this week and uh, and what stands to be lost and maybe that's the tipping point in a lot of ways, as you said, both the tipping point for some uh, administrators and things like that to, to, you know, show their cards a little bit uh, more than has been done thus far to say, hey, look, this is what we need to happen. So we're willing to treat people, treat the athletes differently uh, than maybe we have in the past because we recognize that that's the path to, to making that happen. Coach, um, as we start to think about 
you know, bubbles from a college basketball standpoint? Are there any of the uh, many theories that have been floated out there so far that you have heard and kind of latched onto that are like, I can really get behind this? Uh, or, or, you know, how feasible do you even think it is in order to be able to use a, a bubble type environment to either get through a conference season or, or different things like that? Well, I think the bottom line is the amateur issue. Uh, schools can't be afraid if they want to have a season to, to move to a bubble situation. And even if that hurts amateurism, um, to, to say we're not going to have a season because we don't want to, to be pro like the NBA and all that and not have a season. I, I think that's ridiculous, uh, personally, but that, that, that's just me. I think there are ways to do it. I think there are creative, uh, minds within conferences. And as Galen said, the, if schools go to remote learning, you have a better chance to bubble on campus uh, with your team, and you're talking 13, 15 players with walk-on. You're, you're the difference in basketball to football, and I don't, I don't know if it's that big of a difference, but the numbers, you, you, the testing is simpler, um, the coordination of keeping people isolated if you choose. But if if the NCAA and 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 presidents and trustee, not trustees, but um, the the people, if they want to keep the amateur thing, then it's going to be hard to move them to Indianapolis. Th- those are some interesting things. Like each conference has a bubble. Um, it'd be interesting to see, but you got to get going. Uh, you, you can't wait till December and decide to, uh, bubble in, in Indianapolis and, and walk to, you know, banker's life or whatever it is, or have those things, um, nice hotel right across the street. But, uh, I do think it's possible. You got to get going, uh, as it is. Uh, and I'm not holding out hope that, you know, we're going to find some magic fix for this thing by November or December. So, uh, I think a bubble is the only way you see of some sort that you keep uh, the transmission to a, a minimum is, is the way you see NCAA basketball this well, winter. And I, and I think the one thing you said in terms of the, the remote uh, the remote learning aspect of it, Coach, I think in a lot of ways, and, and Galen, you mentioned this as well, some of the things that have been thrown out is, look, if you got all, your, all the teams together and you played every couple days um, – you could you could play a full full conference schedule in not that long a period of time and at that point you can still continue to do your you know remote learning and online classes from wherever it is that you're bubbling from i think that's been one of the things of like well you can't remove them from the regular population cuz they're you know regular students and and things like that we all can argue whether that makes any sense at all i mean sure mark turgeon has you know, great thoughts on, you know, when they'd be getting home on plane rides from these places, stuff like that. But, um, I don't know how much of a, I don't know how much of a deterrent that really was, but I think you kind of take away that as a potential excuse by saying, Hey, look, there's going to be a lot of places they're going to be doing online only. So where you do your online class from makes no difference whatsoever. That's the thing. I mean, like, okay, Stanford today just canceled their plans to bring freshmen back to campus. And, um, you know, I would say at a lot of big 10 institutions, they're probably going to be 70 to 75 percent online with their classes this semester this idea i'm sorry the the idea that online classes are not synonymous with being a college student it's 2020 i I teach college for a living these are classes that accreditation bodies have approved as being acceptable courses and it's i mean these are these are all across the university in every topic so this argument that was being made by people back in in you know April and May that oh the 
if we don't have students on campus, there won't be games. There's a lot of students that aren't on campus this semester and, and weren't going to be there whether or not we were having games. So I just think there's a very antiquated view of how college is supposed to work in a lot of people's minds, and that's unfortunate. And then there's a lot, a very antiquated view of how amateurism is supposed to work, which is also unfortunate. So we just got a lot of unfortunate stuff going on, on in general right now with the messaging. Galen, you're absolutely right. My, my son who just graduated from Indiana State had like 12 credits his senior year while he was on campus that were online. Um, and, and it gets confusing too because so many people have young people and high school classes are not set up to be remotely done. And, and until high schools move into that, that's a whole different discussion. But sometimes we get the remote learning at different levels. Colleges are more prepared to do remote learning than other places are. And it gets all lumped into the one word remote learning. Uh, but you can do remote learning with your athletes. And in fact, I, you know, if you wanted to have a football season, that would be, you know, just take your guys to you know, a state park and have them remote learn and bus them in for practice and bus them back and monitor them. But I, again, there's been some hesitancy to, to, to do those things. Well, you, you can't do that and also claim that there's that, okay, we're going to put these kids who are on scholarship in a bubble. <laughs> well, we're not doing that with other kids that are on scholarship. And, and that's essentially right. what tears away the, you know, the, the artifice of amateurism. And this is where you just have to be like, fine. We're going to grant this, that these are special employees on campus, which they are. Exactly. And, and then that allows you to do all of the other things that you want to do as long as as long as long the students are okay with it. And I think that, that the, the athletes, by and large, are going to be fine with that because athletes want to play. They're at college largely to play sports. Yes, they want to get an education as well. But it's the idea, okay, we're going to hold these folks against their will and then claim that they're amateurs, that doesn't work. Right. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So a couple rapid fire questions here to uh, just kind of get your opinions, maybe a chance to sprinkle some optimism and who's to say, uh, all right, do we see, so PAC 12 has already said they've been the only one who's really, I uh, probably not the only one. I'm, I'm sure there's something I missed, but they basically said no athletic activities until the first of the year. So that would certainly impact basketball would impact everything. Uh, do, do we see, uh, I'm just going to say Big Ten Bass. Do we see a Big Ten team play any games before the calendar flips to 2021? Coach, what do you think? Hope so, yes. More likely January. Galen? If I, if I was betting. I, I think at least some small number of games will be played by some Big Ten teams before the calendar year flips over. I, I don't know. It could be just one game for a couple of teams, but – I feel like here, the thing about the NCAA and and the member schools, as much money as they're leaving on the table with football on an individual basis and a conference basis, um, at the NCAA goes a whole nother year with not without an NCAA men's basketball tournament. I mean, you're talking about like a, a a lack of existence situation, perhaps taking place for the NCAA as an organization. Uh, I think they're going to find a way to set up protocols and, and at least get things started, get the ball rolling and, and just kind of cross their fingers and hope that everything works out. All right. So next one, do we think there are any non-conference games that are, that end up getting played this season? Galen, I'll go to you first with that one. I think so. I think one of the reasons that it's easier in basketball is you've got just a much smaller number of people to deal with than you have football. And 
the numbers are smaller in terms of money. The the distances are shorter in terms of the overall like where the teams are located. You know, there's only what are there three, um, you know, D- uh, FBS football teams in Indiana, and there's like nine or ten Division One basketball teams in Indiana. Might be more than that. So there's just more opportunities, and it's a little bit less strenuous in terms of travel, even if you're doing a bubble. So, yeah, I think there will be some level of non-conference games. Coach, about you? The travel thing is interesting, too, because you can pull from just in Illinois, in Kentucky, and some of those places within three or four hours. You can bus in, play the game, bus home in the same night. If you have some sort of control testing bubbling on your campus, uh, I don't think the Big Ten's as freaked out about uh, traveling and and other things with, as Galen said, not as many n- numbers of players as football. I don't think the Big Ten only becomes that big an issue like it was uh, for them to control in football uh, because of the massive amounts of numbers. So I say yes. Uh, I think two or three to get ready for your Big Ten schedule. All right. So last question. We're running a little bit long, but uh, is any Big Ten team, if the if the Big Ten goes to a bubble for conference play, is there any? team that's helped by doing that coach any any school or anything anybody come to mind I always say when you take away home court it favors the talent um because sometimes less talented teams can get the vibe from a home court or you know if they need a game to get into the tournament there's always that motivation piece that elevates talent uh but in neutral neutral places a lot of times it's talent that doesn't always play out in the NCAA tournament I know but uh if you force me to pick I, I think the talented teams um and that's athletic talent, not necessarily team talent. So your Wisconsin's, Iowa's don't necessarily benefit, but maybe your Michigan State, Ohio State, Michigan's, and Indiana's have an advantage. There you go. The the answer here is obviously Nebraska. I, I don't know why you missed it, Coach. But <laughs> sorry, it's the clear the clear they're, choice. They're going to get success in the sport they care the least about. It's going to be tremendous. That would be that would be fantastic. All right. Well, we're. Uh, going to answer your questions coming up here in our third segment we got a handful we've got a little bit of time left after uh, that conversation so we'll hit a few of your questions before we wrap things up stick with us here on the assembly call for the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase it's a culture and the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Hey, it's Romeo Lanford. What's the only thing better than handing a game winner to beat Wisconsin? Celebrate it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosers! 
and welcome back to the assembly call. I'm Andy Bottoms here with the coach Brian Tonsoni and special guest Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast. And remember, you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU news roundup, even during the off season. And after every game, we send out a detailed post game analysis. Uh, might even miss these enough that I might even volunteer to write one of those detailed post game analysis if we actually get to the point where we have a game. Um, just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. Now time for our mailbag. And uh, these questions came from our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can find more out, boy, which you can get more information about at assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, all right. So our first question is, of course, it's not that good, but it's not that bad. Question. All right. Jay's question this week is back on the uh, IU assistant topic. So he said, is there an IU assistant that really stands out to you in terms of what he brought to the, the program? So a former assistant really stands out in terms of what he brought to the program. If so, who was it and why? Galen, I'll throw this one to you first. I mean, it was clearly Dan Dockage, wasn't there it? There we are. Um, oh, no. Let's see. Well, no, I mean, You're really filling the Ryan role just to a <laughs> T. <laughs> Doing my best. No. I don't know. Dan had a great career as an assistant coach. I mean, it was, you know, it was a, the grad assistant on the 87 team. No. Um, gosh. I mean, it's tough because I think that, um, you know, when you look, the, the positions have changed a lot over the course of time. And the the programs changed a lot over the course of time. And. Um, you know, I think when I think back to an assistant coach that had uh, a really interesting effect on IU basketball that maybe a lot of people don't talk about now, and it's probably not the direction you think I'm going with this, but it's John Trelor, who, you know, came in and was part of the kind of the mini renaissance that was happening at the very tail end of Knight's career. And then obviously Knight gets fired and then Trelor ends up being in a weird spot where he gets offered the co-head coaching role with Mike Davis and has the, like the intelligence to be like, no, that's a terrible idea. I will just step back and become an assistant. And he might, he could have gotten fired at the end of the year if they had gone somewhere else, but instead he sticks around and from all accounts becomes a kind of like the, the defensive guru and architect of what I, you did the, the year that they went to the national title game in 2002. So, um, that's that's the best I could come up with not having seen this question ahead of time. So I apologize uh, after the fact. Coach, anybody stand out to you? you? You could you could piggyback right on that and say Mike Davis, too, going through all of that that IU went through in 2006, becoming the head coach, going to the Final Four. Uh, a lot of times the assistant coach, you don't really know the true impact unless you're on the inside and see what they've done for the program for the head coach. Uh, it gets you know blown out uh, of proportion that this guy did this and he's a, a development guy, but um, there, there were some outstanding coaches under, under coach Knight, uh, that went on. His coaching tree is fantastic. And if you look back for me, um, Royce Waltman is a guy who, who coached at university of Indianapolis, went to Indiana state. Uh, he stood out one, he taught me a basketball class in PE at Bloomington and, and we learned the motion offense and it was just fascinating to, to listen to an assistant coach talk. So maybe had the most impact on me because I, I got to take a class from him and, and, and play some basketball in the hyper. Uh, Joby Wright stood out just from his stature. 
um, some some old time assistant coaches, but a lot of coaches went on to be uh, productive head coaches. I mean, one I will in all seriousness throw in just from a personality perspective is Norm Ellenberger, who you know was he was a character. He taught the coaching of basketball class when Scott and I took it in the what was that the fall of '98, and he was also the guy that was the the post game guest on the television broadcasts and on the radio broadcasts. And as a, a longtime family listener of Don and Max, you know, for IU games, you'd always wait to hear what Norm Ellenberger had to say after the game. And he was hilarious in that role. I don't know how much he did as far as coaching was concerned, but from that perspective, he was hard to forget. All right. So we've only got a couple minutes left here. Uh, we got a really good question from Robbie Malcolmson, which I think we'll hit maybe after the show and um, I'll record that, but probably don't have time to get into it or do it justice. So uh, another question we did get from uh, related to Robbie, the Who's Your Heartland podcast. Uh, in your opinion, will we see fall sports during the spring? What would be some challenges and hurdles to make that a possibility? Uh, Coach, thoughts on how that might even be able to work yeah. from a, a, of a from a college perspective? I would like to see it. It has to be a health standpoint as far as football, the number of games in a short amount of time. I leave that to the coaches. You know, uh, several coaches, including the coach from up north here, came out with a plan that sounds feasible to me, but I'm not in the mix with it. As a fan, nothing better than a football tailgate, football game at noon, baseball tailgate, baseball at six, Friday night soccer game, you know, Sunday volleyball match. It could be epic as a fan if we're allowed back in. Uh, that's a dream, but I do think we see some uh, fall sports in the spring, if if at all possible. Shortened fall season, or excuse me, shortened spring season of football, I think is going to happen. Uh, I think it has to uh, from a, a variety of financial levels. I think for soccer in particular, this is actually a, as good of a scenario as they could come up with because they've been trying to move to this split fall spring season anyway in college soccer. What better time to get the spring season started? than right now and i think volleyball if you can figure out the interior uh, situation with playing sports indoors with basketball you can certainly apply that to volleyball so yeah i'm actually i'm fairly optimistic that we won't be so incompetent societally for the next six months i don't know why i believe that i guess it's the triumph of hope over experience but i got my fingers crossed yeah, I mean, I think it'd be interesting. I think some schools may have other challenges. I think the bigger schools they can make it work that you don't have a lot of facility type issues, just in terms of you know different schools sharing things versus not. IU doesn't have that that issue, so I think smaller schools may be challenged in some ways, just from a facility and staffing and all those kinds of things. But uh, yeah, I think some of the bigger schools could could make it work. As Coach said, I think he laid out on Twitter, you know his uh his positive approach to what a what a weekend could look like so i think if you look at that and you want to uh end on a hopeful note that's probably the best way that we can do it uh but with that that's it we're done no more questions so that will do it for tonight's episode of the assembly call if you want to see us do the show live join us at assemblycall.com on thursday nights for the live broadcast of our assembly call radio recording and don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Special thanks to Bob Thompson for producing most of the music you heard on the show. And thank you for listening. We'll talk to you again next Thursday night. Take it from me, Yogi Farrell. Keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you.
Wolves, and he uh, was a walk-on in 93. Yep. And we just expected him to pl- practice and warm up and everything. And his first game, I'm sitting up in the parent section getting free tickets, loving life, and uh, all of a sudden uh, I see he, he Knight puts him in. But Ellenberger's on the post-game story, and they're asking about Ross Hales and putting him in. He goes, yeah, I turned to Ross and said, hey, Hales, check in. And they said, well, what was his reaction? And my brother-in-law said, ugh. <laughs> and to watch Norm Ellenberger say that uh, on he was either a post game show or back then the Bob Knight show whenever it was on TV and you could just see Norm in the way he he goes and Ross went <laughs> like here I am a football player getting asked to go into his first game great Ellenberger was great he was tremendous that was a great uh, name to bring up he had such a, a fascinatingly weird coaching history too I mean he was because he was a Butler guy and he was the head coach at New Mexico and got in like significant NCAA like yeah. hot water like was they, they were like ma- like manufacturing grades or something like that I forget the full story and he was one of those guys that night because of his cachet could hire uh and and there'd be no question it's like well, did he hire Norm Ellenberger to, to cheat it's like no it's Bob Knight they're not doing that uh, he did the same thing with Tate's lock yep uh you know because Tate's got into a lot of trouble and and then uh, Knight brought him in, and I think that was what elevated Tate's eventually to the Indiana State job, like a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. So. so Robbie's so Robbie's question. I just we, by the time we got to it, we didn't really have enough time to do justice. This could probably be its own uh, its own podcast, quite frankly. But uh, so his question was: What are the consequences, short slash long term, of a potential year without college sports? Parenthetically, he put consider factors of mental health, physical development of athletes, socioeconomic repercussions for the college towns, businesses, networks, conferences, etc. So, a good question, albeit a loaded one, for sure. Um, anybody want to take a stab uh, at that? Galen will have yeah. the better answer, um, but I'm going to say it's just part of our fabric of who we are, and especially the the, the sports group that we are. Uh, and we all take a hit when it's not there. There's obviously financial problems uh, throughout, uh, but the bottom line is health, in my opinion. And I know the guy on Twitter didn't like, you know, our political views on that. But um, it's a health issue before it's a money issue to me. But I do understand it. But it, it hurts. I, I know I'm struggling um, with the differences of not being sports and my tailgate bar set up in the back that needs to be in the in the tailgate lot. Uh, that, that's a big part. Maybe it's sad, but that's a big part of who I am. Um, and uh, so I, I do think that there is a, a non-monetary price for not having sports. Um, for and, and I'm just a fan. I can only imagine what the athletes are. I know our high school basketball team lost a chance to fight for a state championship. We win the sectional, and the, and the season was called off. Um, and, and you just got to fight through that. But, but, yeah, I think there's a lot of that that needs to be at least looked at and talked about. Um, from from a uh, you know I'm from a fan standpoint, but uh, it, it's tough. It's just tough to not have what we have had, and yet it is sports. Uh, I, I try to remind myself perspective. It is sports. People have lost their lives, their businesses. Uh, the, you know they're they're losing their jobs. So uh, I don't want to overblow the the loss of sports when I I get a paycheck. So uh, those that's my quick thoughts. Yeah, I mean I think going on the health and safety thing for the players. It's um, at all levels. It's it's trouble because you're. I mean, your 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 life from a college student perspective really revolves around your identity as a scholarship athlete, and that's 
it's a hard thing to not have an outlet an outlet for like you can practice but what does that do for you at the end of the day you're practicing with no no purpose in sight and so look I, there's certainly emotional and mental health concerns that you have to keep an eye on um so you know and that's all the way up and down the chain i mean that's from golf and track and field and cross country all the way up to football and basketball i think that but i think the financial thing like athletic departments the way that they're currently constituted it's a bad economic system because it relies on all of this money coming in and being spent immediately and fully and so there's a couple of issues with that one is the the aforementioned issues with amateurism and that and that whole issue but the other thing is when you don't have that money coming in suddenly everything starts to fall apart you you have to start laying people off i mean i'm already hearing and seeing people that I know in college athletics who are losing their jobs this week based upon the announcements that happened on Monday and Tuesday. And that's going to continue and it's going to get progressively worse. And you're going to see, you know, we saw in the, in the summertime, we saw, you know, uh, central Michigan and Bowling Green and some other schools start to cut, uh, you know, some of their smaller non-revenue sports. And I think that's just going to accelerate. I don't think I'd be surprised if it really hit a school like Indiana or, or a, you know, big 10 level schools. But I think you start to get at levels below that and it, it's going to be seismic, like a lot of the, the upheaval that happens as a result of it. And what's going to end up happening at the end of it, I think is that there's not going to be as nearly as many places for people to play. And I don't think that's coming back anytime soon. Like I think what we're witnessing here, frankly, is the end of an era where college sports kind of mushroomed into this huge thing. And this is just going to deflate that to a large degree because there's not going to be enough money to make it happen. Like when, when you've got a system where Ball State can't afford to pay for its athletic department because it isn't getting the million-dollar check from Indiana or whatever it was to, you know, to play a game, that's a bad system. Like that's a system that's got significant flaws in it anyway, and I think this is just going to exacerbate it to a large degree. Can it bounce back, Galen? Or is it a permanent hit? No, it's not going to bounce back. I think not at that level. Because I think a lot – see, the problem is what we're talking about here is um, it's it's colleges in miniature. And, again, I don't see the Indianas, the Big Ten level schools, winking out of existence. They're gonna, we're going to have to change some of the models in terms of how we do education and stuff like that. But – you start getting down to the the mid-tier state schools, the smaller private schools, just as as educational institutions, I think some of them are are going to be tossing people overboard or going out of existence entirely. And so I think that as that goes, you're going to also see that going with athletics. Um, and it's just going to be smaller. And, and that may not be the worst thing. I think that the idea that you have more intramural and club sports and and fewer varsity slots that just might be the way it has to be for the next 10 years uh, but I don't see it bouncing back because there's just too big of a disruption to the system. Yeah, the the mental health piece of it is is interesting. There's a lot of people locally that are trying to make decisions about high school sports here and and what they do. I think that's cited a lot for what it what that looks like to and this is ultimately just a microcosm of the whole argument, right? It's, but it's, well, this is detrimental to them to not be able to play. And the flip side of that is if you go and see teammates get really ill or things really go sideways, like that's no better for you mentally in that scenario either. And that's, those are the kind of, 
you know, which side of those things that you fall on or ultimately how people are answering all kinds of questions right now and trying to figure out how to, how to do some of those things. And I do think that the mental health piece is an important one to talk about, but I think to, to act as if that all of a sudden is no longer a concern just because you say, I'm going to move forward and play is really downplaying a lot of pieces of it. There are even more and more, you know, people are coming out even now in, independent of this, talking about the importance of, of mental health and some of those kinds of things. And and that was when everything was, you know, quote unquote fine. Uh, so do you move into, into this realm? I think that's a, a hard one. And I, I don't love when people use that to prop up the reason for, Hey, we need to do this because of mental health. I, I, while their hearts might be in the right place in some of those cases, I don't know that that's just a slam dunk. That's not a one way street to me of, of how that, that part of it plays out. And, and I think you just start to see a lot of the, feelings and anger and that be misplaced in a lot of these scenarios where people are going after, um, you know, whether it's a school district or a conference or a school president or whatever, you know, those people are having to make decisions now based on really no precedent and, and the best of what they know right now. And, and I feel like in, in a lot of cases, they're just really taking the brunt of people's frustration and, and anger when, you know, th- they didn't necessarily create the situation that things are in right now and, and let it get, you know, where it is, however good or bad, wherever you fall on that spectrum, like they didn't play a role in that, but they're being asked to kind of, um, you know, make decisions based on a limited knowledge set that they have. And I think they all have, I think for the most part have good intentions and, um, but it's, it's hard to, you know, that, that to me is kind of the challenge. And I know it's the educational pieces, uh, certainly close to, to all of us for different reasons and trying to figure out how to make that, how to make it all work and make it be a good experience for, for people as they can, whether it's your own kids, whether it's your students, whether it's, um, you know, whatever the case may be. And I think that's just where it really gets to be a difficult situation that there's, you know, no one of these factors is any more important than another. And you're, you're, you're making recommendations and decisions and changing those based on the information you have at that minute, which is changing pretty, pretty rapidly, even at this point, however many months out from, from when this all began. Yeah. Well said. I mean, does, um, do the other big conferences play football in the fall or are they going to ultimately get to where the big 10 and the PAC 12? I have, I've been predicting for two weeks that we'll see, maybe half of a big 12 game, maybe a full big 12 game. Uh, because I think of the five of the power five, the big 12 is the most like the group of five in terms of finances. Like they, they really, uh, that's the one that's probably hurt the most. If there's not a season, I think they're going to do everything in their power to try. I just don't see a way, uh, you know, the no college president and no board of trustees wants to be on the hook for the downsides of what could happen if you're playing football right now uh, with the numbers the way that they are and, and with what's going on, generally speaking. And so I think I think what we'll see is the ACC and SEC are going to stretch it out a little bit, and then they'll eventually call it, and then the Big 12 will be probably the last holdout, and then they'll eventually have to call it as well. I mean, right now, I don't know if you guys saw that, um, that, that map floating around, but there's one – one FBS school west of the Mississippi or no west of the Rocky mountains and seven north of the Mason Dixon line that are still playing football in the fall. And everybody else is in the South or in the, the, the great plains essentially. So it's just, 
it's a very regionalized thing. It actually falls along a very traditional fault line in college sports in terms of, of how everybody splits off. But I think eventually, if it's not medical pressure, it's going to be like public relations pressure. So you, I, on- I heard, I heard you say that on Crimson Cast that you thought it was a Big Twelve. So they're, I think most people would probably answer the SEC would be the if there was going to be a holdout. Most people would would say that. But you're you're saying that mostly from a financial perspective, just to make sure that I'm kind of understanding what's making you. Yeah, I mean, I think look, S- the SEC is. Um, I think they want to play football, but they don't have to. Like they've got a financial cushion where they can make the case to their fans, okay, we, we, we've tried our best. We've done everything. We tried harder than the Big Ten, but we just can't, particularly with the caseloads in our states right now, we just can't make this happen. But we have a plan to come back, and maybe they come back in December. Uh, maybe that becomes their plan as opposed to coming back in January. Uh, but I don't think the Big 12 has that luxury. Uh, you know, they, they just they don't have the financial footing uh, outside of Texas, and Texas, you know, is probably the, the school that should play the least from a, a, a case number perspective. But they're probably the ones that would try to forge ahead the most. And so, um, it's a weird scenario. It's a weird set of scenarios. And certainly, I could be wrong about it. But just trying to read the tea leaves and read the 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 fact that Big Twelve came out with this whole plan uh, for testing and so forth, and the SEC and the ACC are still kind of holding. Uh, their their water tells me that it's uh, that's probably how it's going to play out is that the Big 12 is going to try to forge ahead regardless of what the numbers say and that's probably going to come back to bite them how do you um, Galen you're down there uh, in Bloomington I, I get this a lot if if it's good enough for you uh, to have your kids at Delphi High School or on campus at Bloomington why can't the the athletes in volleyball and that play uh, I, I do understand that it's case numbers and that, but what that to me that it, I don't know if it's a good argument, but it makes sense to answer. You're putting kids in dorms, you're putting kids in lecture halls, uh, and that what's different about sports than regular? So or is there a difference? Well, I mean, look, I I don't feel terribly um, positive about having students on campus. Uh, the universities decided that the classroom is safe and they've taken all of these guidelines. And this is not just Indiana, like like all these universities have, have made these determinations about, well, the classroom is safe and the, and the classroom environment is the only thing the university can really control. Uh, you know, so when you go into a classroom that's got people in it, you know, our, the you'll have a classroom that normally seats 65 and now it seats 15. And, and that's the guidelines. And so the idea is, well, everybody is at least six feet apart. Everybody has to wear a mask. And that is a safe environment. Well, that's not the case with sports. It's, it's just, okay. I mean, the, in, with, a, with a very few exceptions, sports are all about physical proximity. And so you've got that. You've got the locker room scenario. And those are things that make it much harder to control. And you're also, you, know, you can take responsibility for your classrooms, but you can't take responsibility if a team's playing another team. I mean, how do we know Right. You know, University B has the same guidelines? I mean, you're already seeing these stories from Florida State, from Syracuse, where it's like they're not testing their athletes. Well, that's problematic if you're a university. Now, look, I think there's a lot of arguments to be made about, you know, what about outside the classroom? Right. Uh, and and I, I don't disagree with that, but I think 
most universities are probably taking the, the tack of we can only control what we can Makes control. Sense. And there's just a lot more variables that you can't control in sports. And I know people don't want to hear that. But again, I'm not necessarily that sanguine about people being on campus right now anyway. So I'm probably the right, the wrong guy to ask. To defend no, that. no, no, that makes <laughs> sense because you, you do as an outsider here, lump in dorm life with uh, Kirkwood uh, with all of that into that. The university is responsible for bringing people back into that environment, but it makes sense. No, they're, they're providing courses and they have 15 and six feet distance and masks and those requirements, they're doing what they can, what individuals do on their own. The only difference I would argue uh, is that you are housing people in university housing, but I know they've gone to single rooms uh, and And things like that too. they're, They're testing everybody like the way it's set up here. When you arrive, you have to go to the assembly hall parking lot before you go anywhere else and take a COVID test in the parking lot. And it's like a 15 minute test. And if you fail, you have to leave Bloomington. Um, and, and so it's, it's a pretty stringent testing policy for people living in campus housing. Um, you know, so it's, are there plans to have continuous testing or once yes. for those people too, not just oh, yeah, for then- actually for everybody on campus, there's a, there's, there's continuous testing, there's randomized testing, um, there's contact tracing, like all of that is there. And, you know, look, I think it's a, it's a, it's a pretty comprehensive system. I don't, I don't know that it necessarily is going to be sustainable long-term because of, of how unpredictable the spread of the virus tends to be right. particularly in those sorts of environments. But as, as far as plans are concerned, and as far as trying to police what goes on in buildings, uh, you know, I think most, most universities have some kind of setup on that. I was talking to um, some folks from different universities. I, was, I think one one guy I was talking to earlier from UConn. It, you know, they're they're making everybody that comes to campus quarantine for two weeks before classes start. So, you know, I think most universities are going out of their way to try to make the campus environment as 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 like safe as possible. The, the, you know, the thing is, like in March and April and May students and parents were like, we want in-person classes. And so universities tried to do that. And then all the bad news hit in June and July. And suddenly everybody's like, we don't want in-person classes. And that's like, "Eh, well, you know, we already went that direction. So we're going to try to make the best of it. And I think that's what you're seeing in a lot of places across the country right now. You know, that's interesting. People, my mom's asked, how did our first day go? I think what we're doing at our school is doing it pretty is, is, is okay and decent. Uh, for what we have, I don't know that it's enough. Um, so the long-term aspects I call into question that maybe we should be doing more, but we don't have any ounce of testing or anything or any social distancing. We got too many people in rooms. That's a difference between high school and, and college um, a, a little bit, but it is, it's just an interesting, interesting time. But you do hear that argument quite a bit. I just, I appreciate you answering that so I uh, can maybe throw something back to the people <laughs> it always amazes like our the ihsaa says that you can't shake hands at the coin toss and you got to stand between the 20 and 26 feet apart but in the middle of the game you got 40 kids tackling yeah. each other yeah. you know so it, those kind of it's kind of doesn't make sense um i mean and, and even i mean there's, un, there's unevenness with the with university approaches it's like purdue has decided that this is a great time to welcome their largest freshman class in history yeah They've got 9,500 freshmen coming to campus and 
it's largely out of state kids. You know, I mean, I, they're they're. I mean, it's just like, uh, is this the right time for that? But um, I don't know. Time will tell. We'll see. Maybe maybe things continue to trend in the right direction. I just I do worry about you know the stuff that we saw over the summer and how that's going to manifest with everybody coming together from all over the place in all of these college towns, not just here and not just West Lafayette. All right. On that cheery note. Absolutely. Uh, but right. <laughs> I, I'm like you, Galen. I, I can't wait for the time where I don't have to think about being happy or finding something else to do or, you know, but we all got to do what we got to do. Yeah. Yep. Well, Galen, appreciate you joining us. And, Thanks, uh, Galen. Thanks, chat mob. Always a pleasure, guys. Yeah. Thank you so much. Awesome. All right. Well, we will talk to everybody next week. And uh, everybody, stay safe. Coach, good luck with the rest of your first week and first couple weeks. Right. And, Galen, good luck with the rest of your uh, your prep for the upcoming year. Thank you, sir. All All right. Stay safe. All right. We'll talk to you guys later. Schools, families, and government leaders are finally on alert over teen vaping. But before we can solve it, we need to understand it. One, the draw is flavors. 97% of kids who vape use flavors. Two, kids often don't know they're vaping nicotine, let alone a concentrated formula. Three, nicotine's addictive, and it's also a neurotoxin that can increase teen anxiety. Nicotine is brain poison, and flavor is the hook. Do something at flavorshookkids.org. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.